All right, well, this is Godly Parenting Part 2, Lesson 3. We're calling this one A Father's Responsibility. And this one's going to slap dads a little bit, but probably every dad needs to be slapped a lot of bit. And uh, what we're going to see in this lesson is that, honestly, parenting comes back to what the dad is capable of doing. Now, I understand we could automatically say, well, what about the single mom? I'm not writing this for the single mom. That's the exception, not the rule. If we're always chasing exceptions, there are no rules. And that's lawless. So if you're a single mom, I don't mean to disparage you. My heart goes out to you. You just apply this to you as if you are the father, because for all practical purposes, you are the patriarch, matriarch, because there's nobody in your life. So let's read this. A father's responsibility. God instituted marriage and family. It should not surprise us then that his Bible includes many examples, good and bad, of parenting. And we like that. We like that the Bible doesn't politicize or flatter its leaders or its famed players. The Bible shows us the trash on everybody, the dirt, the scoop, and what they did good. It'll even praise the goodness of King Saul and King Ahab. It doesn't just paint them in horrible pictures. We see that Ahab was very humble at times and could turn God. And then at the same time, he died wicked. And even though King Saul was famed for the way God had to demote him, he also was picked for his humility and his willingness to obey in the beginning. So there's some good things about Saul. We like the Bible, not just because it's God's word, but because it shows the good, the bad, and the ugly. All Bible stories seem to indicate that parenting begins with the father. We know that. And it, it is alluded to throughout the scripture. The Old Testament begins with fathering, as is alluded by Cain and Abel, knowing how to worship God in Genesis who taught uh, Adam that but God, and then how did Eve learn it but from Adam? And so then all of a sudden it says, in the fullness of time, Cain and Abel came and presented an offering to the Lord. Somebody taught them that. They didn't get that on their own. But the Bible also, the Old Testament concludes or ends with fathering again in Malachi. So this is the last verse of the entire Old Testament, and it should point to something that we need to pay attention to. He, that is the prophet, John the Baptist, the prophet that comes in the spirit of Elijah, he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with the curse. It is interesting to me that the Old Testament concludes with a parenting verse, and the parenting verse is tied to a curse. Now, we can certainly judge our land today and see that our culture is devolving, humanity is devolving, um... Young people are more perverse, broken, dysfunctional, depressed, weird than ever, and it all comes back to parenting. That's part of that curse. If fathers don't take an interest in their children, their children will grow wild and they'll forever be a source of humiliation and embarrassment to their parents. At the same time, if dads don't do the thing right, the hearts of the children won't be turned to their fathers. Children are programmed from the time they're born to want to please and impress mom and dad. Those of you that have parented, you know, you'll hear a million times in your life, look at me, daddy, look at me, look at, mommy, can I tell you something? Mommy, look at me. Mommy, can I show you something? Mommy, daddy. And if you, as a parent, are too busy, too irritated, too selfish to look, you'll suppress that. And it'll go from, daddy, look at me, to, hey, Billy, look at me. Hey, pretty girl, look at me. Hey, TikTok friends, look at me. You know why our, not our children, because we're actually disciplined in this church with social media, and it's making a big difference. 
The reason TikTok is so popular and so many kids have been raped by it is because mom and dad wouldn't give them likes or watch their dance or look at their pictures. So they had to get online to find a bunch of total strangers to show them attention. So hear me very clearly, dad and mom. If you don't pay attention to your kids, the devil has people that will, and they're not interested in your kid's salvation. They're interested in turning your kids weird. And there's a lot of flavors of weird out there. And then you're going to lie to yourself and then propagate that lie saying, well, I don't know where, what went wrong. I raised them in church. No, 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 no. You drug them to church. You didn't raise them, period. Social media did. And that's why you've lost your children to the world. God have mercy on you and them. Maybe you can get them back. Maybe not. I was just talking to a friend of mine. I, I didn't correct her. Uh, she was over a youth conference. We, we're connected to a lot of youth conferences, so don't try to troubleshoot which one it is in your head. But she was telling me that she said, the problem with all the youth in our churches is that they're on social media. And I thought, ours aren't, at least not the parents that honor me and respect house rules here. She said, and so our youth conference this year was like, she didn't say it, but it was almost like Love Island. She said, we had so many boys and girls hooking up and connecting in their hearts, sending pictures to each other with their bras or just their shirts off if they're boys. And then, and this is a youth conference I'm familiar with, and I know a lot of the people there. And I thought, it was because you guys don't pastor your kids. That's why all your kids are on social media. And she told me, my, my daughter is the only one, and she said this as a matter of brag, my daughter is the only one in our entire youth group that only has Instagram on her phone. Only. Oh, like, so that's praiseworthy, because I'd say that's probably one of the worst to have period. So anyway, the reason social media is popular for children is because their parents don't give them attention. So dad, you failed and your kids are looking for affirmation and attention. If you would shower them with it, they would grow under your eye and not some voyeuristic pervert on TikTok. So part of parenting is you got to be selfless and you got to really sacrifice your life as an adult, dude and give your kids attention so that they always grow towards your life. I got these sunflowers. They're, we're about to harvest the sunflowers in my backyard. They are heliotropic. That means sunflowers in, in their prime, they will turn and track the sun all day long, which is really cool. And then sometimes at night they kind of dip and they start over. I don't know how that works, but it's cool. I think that's also why they're called sunflowers. Or maybe they just look like a sun. <laughs> your children are designed to be daddy-tropic. Mommy tropic. They rise and they just want to look at you and want your attention and your sunshine and your light upon them their whole life. Amen. Successful parenting demands a father's heart of attention and a vision that looks 10 years down the road at a time. If all you're looking forward to is dinner so I can go to bed, you're a horrible father. You have to look at that child and say, what are they going to be like in 10 years? And you're parenting today to adjust that. And honestly, there's a vision that looks 20 years down the road. Here's my child. There are three. Where's this going to get us in 20 years? Where's this going to get us in 10 years? Not, let's just hurry up, put the kid to bed so we can watch a movie. That's some lazy, shiftless, selfish American parenting. And it is why the church is shrinking and every denomination and generation is getting less Christ-like. Because parents, Christian, spirit-filled ones are pretty lazy. 
If you don't want a parent, don't make a kid. Or if you accidentally make one, give it up for adoption to somebody who has a grace to parent. Let me stop and throw this hard statement I always make when we talk on parenting out there. Some of you are going to make heaven and wait for your child to follow. And they will not. You will die. You will see glory. And you'll be lost in the eternity of God and the glory of God. And at some point, you may look at your watch if you have one in heaven, or maybe there's a sundial in heaven. I don't know. I won't tell any time because there's no shadows up there. But you'll tell time has passed, and you'll say, Lord, uh, should my son and daughter be here by now? And the Lord have to look at you and say, well, they should. But they didn't come here because you failed. And you didn't parent them, and you didn't train them, and you didn't raise them to honor me. And so they went to hell 20 years ago. And the Bible says the Lord will have to wipe away every tear. And I'm very convinced a lot of those tears will be parents who failed their God and their child, and they will be forever separated from the child of their womb. Now, thankfully, he will wipe away those tears, and he'll heal that pain, but it's the reality many Christians will face. And in that moment in heaven, they won't be able to make the lame excuses some of you make today. Well, I did what? What did you do? That's why I can also tell this set of godly parenting is a lot harder than the lessons I taught 10 years ago and wrote 10 years ago. Time is closer to eternity. The stakes are even higher. And we can't fail our kids. Amen. Very few mothers have difficulty taking interest in their children. It is the fathers who typically struggle to stay focused on the welfare and discipleship of their children. When fathers fail to lead in parenting, mothers are crippled in their role. Fathers must arise and disciple their children. So dad, if you don't want to disciple kids, don't have babies. And if you're not interested in having babies, you tell that girl before you married her, listen, I'm not father material. And if you want babies, you don't want them with me. And just be honest. Men are pretty selfish. Their contribution to making a baby lasts two and a half minutes and it's all about them. And that's probably the most help that woman will ever get out of that guy. And that's why children grow up and go to hell and take people with them. That is not to be our testimony, our MO, or our, our purpose. Parenting problems in the Bible. The Bible contains very few decent parenting examples. Very few at all. The failure of most parenting is tied directly to the fathers. If you read Job, you'll find that Job enabled his children's profligacy. They're always partying. The kids would go to each other's tent, according to Job chapter 1, and just party. And then after the party, Job would offer offerings, and he would say, it may be that my kids have cursed God in their heart. Well, instead of offering a sacrifice for them in private, why don't you go wear your kids out, drag them to the family altar, get them to repent? Why didn't you disciple them? How do you know they may be cursing God? Where did you fail, Job? A lot of folks fear God, but not when it comes to parenting. So they want to seek God, but they don't ever teach the kids how to seek God. So you know what happened to all those kids? They all died. All of those kids died, and it was Satan's attack on them. Satan had permission. And I would argue with you, Job's lack of parenting allowed those kids to open up all those doors that, in the famous story of Job chapter 2, allowed Satan to kill those kids. They died in their partying. Whirlwinds came, bandits came, and they all died. Thankfully, Job got to reboot his life. 
He had a series come to Jesus, lasted 38 chapters. God gave him better kids, a better wife. Hopefully he doesn't send that batch to hell. We don't know because the story leaves off there. Israel failed to circumcise for 40 years. This was a major parenting fail. Moses even failed to force the issue of circumcision with his two sons. And God showed up to kill Moses because only one of the boys had been circumcised. So finally Zipporah, his stubborn wife, she grabs a knife. Can you imagine being in the inn on your way to Exodus to have a family reunion and a revival and God shows up to kill the preacher on the way to the revival because he had not circumcised his boy because mama's belly aching too much about it. So it says, and the Lord appeared and he would kill Moses for he had not circumcised his son. So Zipporah grabs this knife, circumcises the boy. Who knows how old the boy was? While the Lord is in the inn, they're stopping off at a hotel. Probably wasn't a Motel 6, maybe a, I don't know, a kosher 6 or something. God's in the hotel room ready to kill Moses. She circumcises emergency surgery, throws the foreskin at Moses' feet and says, a husband of blood you are to me. And you never see Zipporah with Moses again. I think it was a divorce. And after the separation, Moses goes and leads revival. Why didn't he parent better? Moses' grandson, Jonathan, became a Levite for hire and helped create a cult in the tribe of Dan. So how'd you fail, Moses? Great judge, great leader, great executive, great prophet, horrible dad. If you won't force the issue with your wife over your children, you know those grandkids are going to be even worse, right? Even though he's a Danite or a Levite, Jonathan became a Levite or a priest, we should say a priest for hire, and helped create a cult. Now, if you read Judges 18 in the King James, it's going to say Manasseh, the, son of, or the grandson of Manasseh. But all the Hebrew texts I have studied all agree that they added an in in some of the manuscripts to show honor and hide Moses' sin. So instead of Moshe, it becomes Monoshe, or we would translate that as Manasseh. So the Hebrews, the Jews, count this as, as Moses' grandson. Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, mocked worship and died. So all right, he's a great priest, horrible dad. You don't let your kids come into the priesthood if they don't know how to serve God. And when his sons died, God told Moses, you tell your brother, don't you dare cry for those boys. There comes a time where God says, you don't get to cry. Your failure, stop crying. It's going to mock me. Eli's sons, Phineas and Hophni, were perverts, stealing the tithe and fornicating with the worshipers. They died for it. How, how do we have a generation, priest after priest after priest, just stinks at raising their kids? The Bible never blames the moms. It always talks about the sons of the husband. Samuel's sons were greedy and corrupt too. And because of their corruption, Israel said, we don't want more judges. We don't trust your kids. Make us a king. David had sons who grew to be sexual perverts. Amnon raped his sister. Solomon had 900 wives. And he had a son also who was an insurrectionist. So David, great king, great military leader, great psalmist, great architect, great in politician, great in obeying God, horrible dad. Parenting always falls at the feet of dad. So if you're a man, then you buck up, cowboy, and you shoulder the responsibility. 
As a man, God is going to speak to you first and foremost for the direction of your children because you're the leader. That means you've got to be in prayer for your kids. You've got to be seeking God the time, the moment they're conceived about what is the plan and destiny of God for this child. And that way you can begin to talk with your wife and how, how the two of you are going to raise this child. What do we see the giftings on their lives to be? What are their graces? What are their weaknesses? Every kid is born with weaknesses because they have a sin nature. Every kid is born with strengths because they'd be given a, a disposition from God. But you can't just say, oh, yeah, we made a kid. Yeah, let's have a gender reveal party, which is such a weird American thing, by the way. I mean, if you do it, do it. But like Dr. Barclay says, most folks spend more time preparing for the wedding than they do the marriage. And most folks spend more time preparing for the baby to get here, having more celebration with the baby getting here than they do actually raising the child. How about good parenting in the Bible? Well, we got like three examples. Oddly enough, Saul was not biased. He was very hard on his favorite son, Jonathan. So that's decent parenting. At least there isn't a bias there. Manoah, I judge to be one of the greatest dads in the Old Testament. They wanted a baby. That's Samson's dad. They wanted a baby, but her, his wife was barren. We don't know her name. And so when the angel shows up and says, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be a mighty person, a mighty man of God, a judge. He'll begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Manoah says, well, what else did the angel say? How are we to raise this kid? You can hear Manoah's heart. We don't want to fail God. This is a gift. We've been believing God. He actually was thankful for the child given to him. And you show thankfulness by saying, Lord, this is a gift. How do we take care of it? How do we glorify you with the thing you glorified us with? Manoah's asking all these questions, and his wife's like, uh, I forgot to ask. So he's like, well, Let's ask God to send that guy back. They didn't know it was an angel. Let's ask God to send that guy back, and we'll ask him again. And so the angel being, you could tell angels are masculine because he doesn't want to repeat himself. He's like, well, I already told your wife. You should tell him because I'm not repeating myself, and you like to talk, so go. <laughs> do it. That thing you guys do. And so I see Manoah as one of the greatest fathers in the Bible because he keeps, even when his son is into his ministry, the last time Samson listens to his dad, his dad says, you shouldn't do this, son. This is not going to honor God. And he ignores his dad. I count him as a good dad. We know Samson failed. I don't believe it's dad's fault in this instance. Samson had some things he refused to do. Asaph, one of David's least likely worship leaders. When you read the story of, you have uh, Ethan, Heman, and Asaph. Asaph is the guy that just... He's the worship leader, but he's so bad when they first introduce him in the Bible, they give him symbols because there's no talent required on the symbols. You just have to count time and then clang them together. Or even if it's maybe just the symbol that's the triangle. He's like the bottom one mentioned over and over and over again, but at some point he actually gets it and becomes the faithful worship leader. That he raised his sons up to maintain the vision of the temple ministry for generations. His lineage was still serving God in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, Four or five hundred years after David. It doesn't say anything about Heman's sons or Ethan's sons, only the sons of Asaph. He also wrote about eight or ten Psalms. The other worship leaders, David's premier worship leaders, didn't write any that we record. Pretty good dad when you're, gener when you're a 400th generation down the road, ten generations later, is still in line with the family vision. We still serve God. Yes, in fact, I think. Um, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, they both take a contingency. One of them is like 120 sons of Asaph, and the next one's 140. So there's, in one generation, you have 260 grandchildren of Asaph still ready for ministry. 
260 sons of Asaph, which would be great, 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 great grandchildren, still ready to go lead worship and make the arduous journey across the Arabian desert to do it. It's pretty awesome parenting. You must have taken that little symbol serious. See, some of you, you think if you had a greater importance in the kingdom, you'd do it serious. Well, if I was just the pastor, if I was, if I was called to be a missionary, we'd do it better. No, you wouldn't. So don't worry about it. You won't see anything greater. Joseph was the reason Mary was chosen. He raised Jesus in the law of Moses. We could say that was a pretty successful dad right there because uh, that Jesus, he did things pretty good. But we know he's the son of God, and Joseph was the, the surrogate father. Successful parenting doesn't require a drill instructor's hard nose nor an OCD control issue. That is an obsessive-compulsive disorder. It requires a diligent, watchful, tender eye and the willingness to put in the time necessary to train and nurture the child into God-honoring early adulthood. So one of the things I've observed in parenting is that we don't parent like God does. We parent like our dad did, which wasn't always right. And so one of the things I want to do with this this lesson here is I want to lean against some of the hard-nosedness. We have a lesson that talks about discipline, and once again, there are two ditches. There's the ditch that never disciplines the child, and the Bible says in Proverbs, he that spares the rod hates, not spoil. Spoil is an American feel-good verse. Hates, he that spoils the rod hates his child. So there's one ditch. You just want to buddy-buddy and negotiate with the two-year-old. You don't negotiate with the two-year-old. Those of you that negotiate with a two-year-old, they're going to want to transition to a different gender, and you're going to negotiate with them. Instead of wear the bum out, say, come out in Jesus' name, and you're a boy. Bud Bud and I were walking through Walmart the other day. We're going to buy some Legos. I said, all right, Bud, so uh, you want some Barbie Legos? No. Well, why not? Because I'm a boy. Why are you a boy? Because Dodd made me that way. That's right. Nux, right there, boy four-year-old gets it. Apparently academics and the media don't. And they act like, oh, we've always believed this. <laughs> nope. He said, I don't want Barbie Legos. I want Star Wars Legos because I am a boy. How do you know you're a boy? God made me that way. That, and you have boy parts. And I have boy parts. That's right. That's what we call them in my house. He doesn't call them anything else. Boy parts. Why? Because they're the parts that belong to a boy. Amen. The other ditch is brutal, ruthless parenting. Beating, yelling, screaming, cussing, psychological torture. It's wicked. And it means you were raised as a dysfunctional abject, and that's all you know to do. God as a reasonable father. So let's look at the example of God our father. We need not look any further than to God as a role model in parenting. How does he teach us, correct us, admonish us, or punish us? Consider how the Heavenly Father parents us. So the Father demonstrates perfect parental emotions. Oh, Lord, we need this. Because moms are usually emotionally and screaming and, and hurt, and dads are usually emotionally ruthless and angry and full of wrath and... Uh, we got to balance this thing out. There's a time to be angry. There's a time to spank. There's a time to say, go to your room. I don't even want to look at you right now. But that's not when they're three. Amen. Maybe when you're 14 and you didn't parent when they were three. 
Don't yank your kid up by the arm and wear their bum out as you're dragging them out of some place. You have to be a lot more disciplined with spanking than that and say, go stand by the paddle. I will discipline you in a minute. When we get home, I'm going to wear your bum out, boy, because you disobeyed me four times tonight. And I cut you slack on three of them. But if you're always just yanking them up and wearing their bum out, you are sowing more chaos into their soul. So you're propagating their reckless, wild behavior. So say, all right. Stop it. Sit down. When we get home, your bum is going to be red. Yes, daddy. Yes, mommy. That's an out of control emotion. So we have to be very balanced and mature. Psalm 103 says the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. He does get angry. He just doesn't freak out. And he's plenteous in mercy. Psalm 145 says the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The emphasis on both of these is slow to anger and of great mercy. You can spank your kid without being angry at them. And you don't have to wait till you're angry or till you're angry to spank them. You can say, listen, I I told you not to do that three times. Go stand by the paddle. But if you're always responding out of anger, you're actually sowing this into your child. I had to help a mom about 10 years ago. And, uh, she said, I'm spanking my kid, uh, and I don't know why, uh, what's going on, but they're just getting more and more mad. I said, let me ask you, do you spank them when you're angry? Oh, all the time. Do you angry spank them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm giving it to them. I said, you're putting this in your kid. You're injecting them like a turkey on Thanksgiving. You're whipping them angry, and they're just helping you reap what you've sown. So don't spank angry. Go tell them to stand by the paddle, walk away, cool off, and say, I love you, but I have to spank you now. And then ask them, why, why am I about to spank you? Well, because I disobeyed and I pushed my sister down. That's right. So let's pray. And then we'll wear your bum out. Then we're going to pray again. Be systematic and controlled, not wild. If you're always disciplining when your emotions are out of control, you are sowing that chaos. You are teaching them how to act wild and out of control. So the Lord's gracious full of compassion, slow to anger, great mercy. When Adam and Eve rebelled, the all-knowing God of creation began to help them by asking a series of questions. Man's honest answers brought him back into some form of fellowship. Adam, where are you? Oh, over here. What are you doing? Hiding. Why are you hiding? Because we're naked. Who told you you're naked? Uh, I just ate of the fruit. My eyes were open. And every question answered brought Adam closer to God. Now, that's like the worst mistake in human history because you just set all of mankind up for the life we live today. And yet God doesn't come down and just smear them into a rock with his hand. He asks them questions. What have you done? Why did you do that? Go stand by the paddle. Very systematic, very controlled. And yet we know this is the original sin. This is, quote, the fall. And if any time God could have just brought down wrath, lightning bolts, she-bears, this would have been it. But he's controlled in his anger. And until you get control in your anger, you're sowing chaos into your children. And dads are the ones with anger issues typically. Mamas can have them, but usually dads. God responds to our mistakes and rebellion with mercy and grace. He has compassion on us in our foibles. He is slow to anger, though his wrath can be kindled to the point of region-destroying anger and one day planet-destroying anger. He is not short-tempered. So I'm going to ask some questions. You just respond on your own. How do you respond when your children sin or fail? Is it embarrassment? Because a lot of folks whip out of embarrassment. 
A lot of folks, they are ashamed of the way their kid is acting, so they try to compensate by beating that kid hard in public. Instead of taking them by the hand and say, you calm down right now. We're going to the car. When we get home, I'm going to spank you. If you could be calm and collected, you would sow calm and collectedness into your children. But you flare up, they flare up. You freak out, they freak out. Monkey see, monkey do. Don't be the monkey. The father praises, publicly endorses, and brags about his kids. Do you do that? Matthew 3.17, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son, and whom I am well pleased. Well, that's easy, Pastor. It's my kids. I'm not pleased with them. Well, why don't you find something to, be brag, to brag about, to be proud of? Now, obviously, if they're in trouble, you don't go blow the horn saying, hey, look at how awesome my kid is. You tell them, I'm disappointed in you. We're in a different season. But my point with this is that if all you ever do is scold them or put them down, they're going to be exasperated and they're going to hate you. The father publicly bragged about his child. The father told his son he loved him publicly. Some of you have shared with me that your public testimony or your experience growing up is I never heard my dad tell me he loved me or maybe twice. I can't even imagine that. I, well, I should say I can't imagine doing that to my own kids. I can't imagine never hearing praise of a parent or I can't imagine never giving my kids praise. The father told everyone his son was doing a good job. It's pretty cool. Our kids should hear our praise regularly and feel our pride for them. If all you ever do is beat them down or tear them down, you're going to exasperate them and they're going to hate you and they'll say in their heart, I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to leave. I can't wait to leave this house. I can't wait to get out of this town. And it'll be your parenting that drives them into rebellion because you've proven to them you're an impossible taskmaster to please. So what's the point? You'll drive them into the arms of pagans who are easy to please, who accept them, who love them, who won't be critical of them. There's nothing wrong with judging. We all judge, but you don't have to be so critical that they just even hate bringing you anything. If your kids won't bring you stuff, that is your fault. Our next lesson will be um, wisdom and regrets from spirit-filled parents. And one of the things one of my pastor friends told me is, I said, why do you think your kids still serve you in the ministry today? He said, no matter what they brought me or brought to my wife and I when they were growing up, we never freaked out on them. Even if it was horrific, we never freaked out. They learned they could bring us anything, and then they wanted to. And if you freak out when they're three years old and you just like bring down wrath, they will learn quickly how to hide stuff from you because, ooh, we don't want mama upset. When mama's upset, she's a dizzy idiot for weeks. We can't handle that. <laughs> to my shame, my Lydia knew what disappointed, the word disappointed meant before she understood what proud meant. To our shame. Now, we rectified that with Abigail and Justice. But it, it really, probably about three years old, you know, we would tell, sweetie, don't do that. That, that disappoints mommy and daddy. Now, we didn't do it ruthlessly. But when I, the first time we started telling you, I'm proud of you, she'd say, I'm proud of you. And we realized she didn't have a clue what it meant. And I thought to myself, we have to adjust this. 
We can't just always tell her we're disappointed with the mistakes she's made. So here's your question. Do your children feel the joy of your pride or only the shame of your disappointment? There's a time to sit down with them, depending on their age and what they've done, and say, listen, I'm very disappointed in you. I love you. You're a great kid. I don't know what, what happened. We've been proud of you your whole life, but what's this all about? You brought shame to us. You brought shame to the house of God. You brought shame to the name of Jesus. That's not a time to praise them. It's a time to be disappointed. But if that's all they ever hear from you, maybe this is how they've been trained to get attention from you. All they know is that I get attention when I do something stupid because at least mom and dad sit down and talk with me. That's a sick little mental game. If they do good, brag about it. Give praise on things that are praiseworthy. You did an awesome job cleaning up your room, son. Thank you for helping mommy take out the trash. Oh, that looks beautiful. Your kids should know you find them beautiful. Yes. Honey, you look beautiful today. Oh, son, you look so handsome today. You should see their little heart well up with pride and smile when they bring you something. Don't say, get out of my face, kid. I'm watching the game. Let them climb in your lap and bring them that goofy Lego toy or that coloring thing they colored that's wrong and out of the lines and the wrong color. They are designed by God to bring you stuff. If they quit, you failed. If they quit bringing you stuff, you know you shut that off in them somewhere. This is not to beat up you older parents. Your job's done. Either it's a plus fail, it's a plus minus positive, either pass fail. We can't fix anything for you now. Now your job is to quit crying over it. Say, Lord, I screwed up. I believe you older parents had what you needed in the generation you needed it. You just didn't use what you had. I'm fully aware that 20 years from now, I will have more revelation on parenting. I wish I had today, but I can't cry over what I didn't have because I have what I need today to succeed. We'll need more in the future because it'll be weirder in the future. So you older folks don't sit there and say, man, I wish I knew this 20 years ago. You had what you needed. You probably just didn't use it. God's commandments are not grievous. Or complicated. This is where a lot of parents fail, especially perfectionists. The Lord said in 2 Corinthians 6, Therefore come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The Father makes his expectations very clear. They're not a moving target on sifting sand. We should be just as clear with our children. And wherever their age is, wherever the development's at, you adjust the expectation for that. Come out, that's pretty simple. Leave the perversion. That doesn't mean come out being gay. You know, if you're gay, the only come out we're going to say is come out in Jesus' name. Be clear on that. Uh, somebody famously said years ago, folks want to come out of the closet rather than clean it. I like that little expression. They want to come out of the closet rather than clean the closet. Be separate. That's a pretty simple command. That means don't be around dirty folks. There are dirty people in the earth. Touch not. I like this. No fuss, no muss, no shifting standard on what God is trying to do here. We should be clear and unchanging in our expectations. Your children are not designed, or excuse me, your children are designed to want to please you. Don't crush that or you'll lose your kids. Are your parental expectations like shifting sands and possible to nail, or are they easy to grasp and accomplish? You do change standards as your kids mature. 
My expectations on my Lydia are higher than they are on my Abigail, which are higher than they are on my Justice, because they're different ages. And they all have to be encouraged to discipline at different levels and for different things. If you're trying to one-size-fit-all parent, you're going to fail one of your kids. Because all your kids are different. They all require different stuff. My Lydia is a tough kid. Spanking does nothing for her now. She's solid as a rock. Doesn't even phase her. But if I take things away from her, that crushes her. Abigail, I can say, go stand by the paddle. She's broken. Bud, bud, if I say, go stand by the paddle. i sorry, Daddy. I did not mean to do that. Please, you forgive me as he's marching to the paddle. Then he gets the paddle out and he plays with it. He said, and we, I drew a happy face on one side of the spoon and a frowny face. He said, which do you want, the happy face? And this is him to me as I'm about to wear his bum out. And by wear it, I'll hit it, you know, whack it three times. I'm glad I can still preach this and not worry about prison like Canada. So I'll smack his little bum. He won't even cry. i sorry, Daddy. And we'll pray. And then he'll go off and do again what I just spanked him for. So I said, Lord, help me. Because he's got such a tender heart. But boy, he just doesn't sometimes get it. I'm sorry, Daddy. Please do not spank me hard. Like, well, I, I, I don't know. Do I spank that? You know, because that's like him learning to plead for mercy. Like, we ask God, please have mercy on me. He's like, please do not spank me hard. Please you spank me soft. Please I keep my jeans on. Uh, but Abigail, I say, go stand by the paddle. She's just instantly crying. Not even, not even asking for anything, just crying. I'm sorry, Daddy. I, uh, so how do you spank that? Because she's already broken. She knows she's wrong. Everybody's different. Lydia, I could line up with a bamboo cane pole, and she'd just toughen it up and go. <sighs> and you think, this kid's going to come back and get me later in life. I... She's already thinking, what nursing home am I abandoning my dad in? <laughs> so that's why I said, God have mercy. God have mercy. God have mercy. <laughs> All right. It is not impossible to please God like some parents. He simply requires faith. Don't be the impossible parent to please. That's a weird psychological dysfunction. To me, that's worse than spanking. For, for, for those of you that are like, oh, spanking is just so horrific. Uh, oh, my goodness. No, no. What's worse is yelling at your kid, screaming at him, and then ignoring him for three days because you're too immature to get a hold of your petty emotions, mom. That's worse than wearing their bum out because that's a weird, sick, twisted game. We'd call it physical or emotional abuse. And folks will do that with their three-year-old. What's wrong with you? You believe God for this kid, then you make them go stand in a, an emotional timeout for six weeks. That's twisted. That's a dysfunctional human being. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. It doesn't say flawless works. Without faith. Don't expect your kids to be flawless. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the father requires us to come to him. That's all we want out of our kids. Just come, come, bring it to me, sweetie. I don't care what you broke. Let me fix it. The father's not looking for flawless works, but heart effort. We judge our kids based on what's going on in their heart, not what they did physically. They break something. We don't spank them because it was an accident. We say, oh, sweetie, what were you doing? I, I just turned, Eddie. I'm so sorry. My backpack caught it and knocked it off. Why would you spank a kid for an accident? Now, if they threw the ball five times in the house and you told them four times, stop throwing the ball, and then they throw the ball that breaks something, then wear them out. I told you four times. I should have spanked you on number two. The father rewards those that seek to please him. We should reward our kids. It's not going to spoil them. 
if, the God, if God is a rewarder, and we, but we don't seek him for rewards, we seek him because we love him, but yet he still rewards us, why wouldn't we reward our kids for when they do right? We do. I think you, every parent does. It's called blessing them. You just want to buy them stuff. What, what do you, you want some ice cream? You want to watch a movie? We do it, but we need to be a little probably more focused on it and attentive to how we're doing it. We should not look for outward flawlessness, but an inward tenderness in our kids. If your kid starts to track in a hardening direction, you have to ask God for help to understand what you've done to provoke them into a hardening direction. Kids will either grow hardened or they'll grow timid. When you're poor in your parenting, they'll either grow hardened and just don't care or they'll grow timid. And I've watched some of your kids grow hard towards one of you as a spouse and timid towards the other. And somewhere in the middle, some of them even grab a hold of manipulation and just play both of you. And they'll start that about 10, 11. All of this requires balance. Do you overly reward or withhold even the tiniest reward of praise? Praise is a reward. And your kids ought to hear you say, I'm so proud of you. That is beautiful. Come here, sit in daddy's lap, not when they're 14. That makes you a weirdo. At some point, you got to start to see that they... They're getting pubic hair, and their sex organs are developing, and they don't need to be sitting in your lap. It's just a little weird. And even if there's some purity there, it looks weird to everybody else. And if we're uncomfortable, you need to stop. Because you're supposed to commend yourself to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Do you overly reward? We call that spoiling. Or do you withhold even the tiniest reward of praise? And that's psychological abuse. Don't do it. Parents often fail Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers or parents, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resentment. That comes back to that impossible standard that's always shifting. Don't do this to your kids. Set reasonable goals and guidelines for them. Don't expect them to be your age. Don't expect them to be as good as their older sibling. Don't compare them to siblings. That's ruthless. You'll teach them to hate their, their brother or their sister. I, there might be a permission to say, listen, sweetie, your sibling is really good at helping around here. I want you to be as good at helping around here as they are. Right now we're cleaning the house. I need you to help clean the house like your brother is. And if they say, well, you just love them more than me. No, no. In this area, they are better than you. Now in other areas, you're better. You guys aren't all equal. We love you all the same, but we also love you different. But right now, with what we're doing, follow your brother's role model. So you can, you can do it in a helpful way. One person shared with me their personal story of pain and discouragement in their upbringing. And this story still hurts my heart. Because as a dad to little girls, and this is a lady, as a dad to little girls, I can't imagine raising my daughters under this. My parent, they, this is their testimony, my, and I got permission to use it. My parent would tear me down, then never mend the relationship or address what I had done wrong. Can you imagine being yelled at but never knowing what you were being yelled at for? After they had calmed down, they never repented or explained what they were mad about or comfort the pain they had caused by their angry put-downs. I learned to comply in order to avoid the hurt of rejection, but I was never able to figure out what was wrong in the first place. Even after my repentance, my parent would still be angry with me and would never restore a loving relationship. I therefore grew up assuming God was the same way. 
he would always be holding something over me. Now, this person is an adult. They're in our church. They love God. But I can, I can tell you, pastoring them, that even as I pastor them this week, this is still affecting their walk with God. Can you imagine thinking God treats you like your parents do? And that's why we have to look to our Heavenly Father as the prototype for how we parent our kids. When we repent, God doesn't bring it up again. When we repent, we, we quench his wrath and his anger. We don't repent, and then he keeps us out on the outer perimeter for another six months. When we repent, he receives us, he washes us, and he restores us back to playing Legos with him again. He doesn't storm off, seething, angry, won't even talk to us for three days. That is an immature, dysfunctional adult. He grows angry at our sin. We repent, and his goodness rushes back in. And that's how you discipline children. They need discipline. Go stand by the paddle. You swat, swat them three times on the bum or whatever you need to do. You pray with them for restoration. You teach them how to repent. You teach them how to receive forgiveness. And then you act as if it never happened because that's what God does with us. To hold it over your kid's head when you've taught them to repent and they said, I'm sorry, and they give you a hug, to hold it over their head is abuse. It's the weirdest kind because you're not just hurting them now. You're perverting how they're going to perceive God when they finally learn to trust in him. They're going to assume God will treat them just like you did. And that's weird and perverse. The previous testimony is the exact opposite of how God relates to us as children. It is not impossible to please God, and he has a much higher standard than mom and dad ever could. Parenting is designed to introduce our children to the nature of the love of God. If we fail to know it ourselves, we will present a false and potentially blasphemous image of God to our kids. Repent if this is you. And may the rest of us pray we never fall into this destructive behavior. Father, thank you for these lessons on parenting. I pray that everyone listening in the future would be blessed by them, instructed by them, encouraged by them, and may, might even be able to adjust their parenting. We thank you, Father, for the children you give us. May we represent you well in their lives. And may they learn to receive forgiveness and mercy and restoration in a quick amount of time. In Jesus' name, amen.